Jimbo's the worst. Jimbo will have you out there three hours before practice. Stop. We're gonna get a walkthrough. We're gonna get a walkthrough. Let's go get a little stretch out there. Stretch out there. We're running <laughs> through the sled. We're running plays. Jimbo, we are exhausted. We haven't started practice yet. <laughs> what are we doing? Hello and welcome to the Tuesday, July 19th edition of Always College Football. I'm Greg McElroy, and we really appreciate you being with us from wherever it is that you are consuming the podcast. We are either on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or if you're watching it here on the ESPN YouTube channel, please like, rate, and subscribe. It helps out the show, and it makes us better. Hit us up in the comments section. Tell us where we can improve. Hit us up via email at alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. Want to have the interaction with you. We want to be in touch with our fans, and we know that'll make the show better down the road. There's a few news and notes here in Atlanta from the SEC Media Days as it pertains to the bigger picture in college football. Notre Dame has news. There's actually no news. I guess maybe it's good news for some when it comes to the Big 12 and the Pac-12. We'll update you on those discussions, and we'll revisit what Greg Sankey said yesterday at the podium in his address to the college football world. All that, plus we'll be joined by Cole Kublick for a deep-rooted dive into the X's and the O's along the line of scrimmage. He's the offensive line guru at ESPN, so we look forward to our visit with him. But first, let's talk about it. Three items that really need to be broken down just a little bit from yesterday in the world of college football. Let's start with Greg Sankey, who took to the podium a little after 11.30 Eastern time yesterday and essentially what he told the college football world was that there's no urgency right now when it comes to the SEC and it's looking to expand because as right now there's not a brand that the SEC can genuinely justify outside of Notre Dame more on them in a moment outside of Notre Dame that would really strengthen the entire footprint now North Carolina Virginia Clemson Florida State all those schools, I think, would be probably pretty good additions at some point for the SEC. But right now, with the grant of rights deal that the ACC currently has, it's not a priority. So I think Greg Sankey acknowledged yesterday that there is no strength in numbers. They're very comfortable. They already viewed themselves as a super conference. So there is no immediate need to expand, of course, unless Notre Dame's willing to hop into the Southeastern Conference. All right. Secondly, Notre Dame fighting Irish comes out yesterday that they are looking right now at $75 million annually for their television rights deal. Now, can they get that by joining the Big Ten? Yes. Can they get that by joining the SEC? More than likely when the SEC's new deal comes into place. So I think that, that number specifically, was something that you need to acknowledge because that number is actually slightly lower than what they might get if they were to align with a league. However, at this point, Notre Dame is in no rush. Right now, they have tremendous leverage over both the Big Ten and the SEC. They also have leverage over the ACC because of their scheduling agreement and the fact that every non-football sport is played in the Atlantic Coast Conference. So that is something to consider as we move forward. Right now, $75 million, that's the goal, according to sources for Notre Dame. And then finally, the Big 12 and the Pac-12, they decided yesterday they mutually agreed not to merge. Well, imagine that. <laughs> right now, the Big 12, it's well-documented, and based on Brett Yormark's comments last week, it's well-documented that they're going to be very aggressive in their pursuit of some Pac-12 teams. So explain to me why George Klyovkov, who's in charge of the Pac-12, 
and Brett Yormark, who's in charge of the Big 12, why the heck would either one of them want to fold their tent? I think they're going to go out swinging. So yesterday, the news that they will not merge, they didn't blow me away, because right now, it certainly feels like the Big 12 is on the pursuit of at least four, maybe six, of the Pac-12's teams. But what the Pac-12 has is they have the two strongest brands right now, according to Forbes, when it comes to all the teams in both respective conferences. Those two are Oregon and Washington, who, according to Forbes, are in the top 20 as far as the value of the actual football program itself. So that sums up the news from yesterday, and I feel like we hit the bigger picture. It's time to dive into the trenches by talking a little X's and O's. Really, really excited to be joined by our next guest, Cole Kublin. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results. Fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence, knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And... Boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. All right, we're joined now by one of my best friends in the industry, a guy I respect probably as much, if not more, than anybody else. He's Cole Kublik. He's our offensive line guru. Uh, he does watch. We've now kind of gotten him to the point where he will watch all 22. But On occasion. It, it, took a a, bit. it took a little while. Um, it took seven years of our friendship for him to finally <laughs> put on the wide copy, uh, as opposed to the tight copy, which for those that don't watch tape, the tight copy is just the offensive line and the tight end. So it's very boring. I wouldn't recommend it. Watch the all 22 like we do. Uh, at the quarterback spot. Cole, we appreciate it, man. Thanks Absolutely. Thanks. Uh, so, so we want to have you on. We're going to talk deep dive into the XO. We're going to talk a little O-line. We're talk a little run game, talk a little bit where we're at in college football with both those things. But I want to start with asking you about the Joe Moore Award. Uh, it is, first of all, it's the biggest trophy I've ever seen. Uh, it goes annually to the nation's best college football offensive line. Yep. Is that exactly what its mission is? That is the mission statement, absolutely. Yeah, uh, the best offensive line in college football. So uh, you think about things like like finishing, technique, fundamentals, assignments, understanding, playing together, chemistry, continuity. We try to take all those things into account. And 
the thing that I love about the award that Aaron Taylor put together is everyone who votes on it played the position or coached the position. So it's not a lot of nerd beat reporters that think they know what they're talking about looking at PFF grades voting on offensive lines. So we <laughs> got that. former quarterbacks? Uh, we don't allow those in there either. Uh, because like you just said, you only watch the all 22. So the right tackle looks like an ant in your film when you're watching. As it, he so, should. Yeah, yeah, well, hopefully not an ant. Maybe like a maybe a really big ant. Maybe like one of those ants <laughs> from like South South America or something. They're, those are pretty big. But uh, so the Joe Moore Award, you guys, last year went to Michigan. Um, great group. Oregon State was in the mix. And then who was the Kentucky other? Kentucky was a finalist. Kentucky, Oregon yep. State, and Michigan were the three finalists. Yep. So what was it about those groups specifically last year that made them finalists? I think the first thing that you start with, Greg, is, is working together yeah. and understanding. And you and I had a lot of conversations about this. There were some really cool groups last year. Baylor was in that mix. Arkansas was in that mix um, as a semifinalist. Air Force was in that Air mix. Air Force was in the mix. That was a group that played really nasty football last year. They were <laughs> fun to watch. But teams that understand how to not leave a double team, how to not leave your guy hanging, you don't see them turn a lot of guys loose in pass protection. There's right. not a lot of leakage in the run game. And it's just, it was cool to see those groups because there's not a lot of first-round talent yeah. with those groups. It's guys that just understand, okay, this is what the scheme's asking for. This is what our coach is asking us to do. I'm not going to leave my guy next to me hanging, and we're going to finish and go above and beyond maybe what most other groups are doing. So that effort is always going to be something that comes first, especially with me. Other guys may like your technique, your fundamentals a little bit more, but for me, I want to see guys finish. I want to see the effort. We saw that from all those groups last year. It was really close, really tight last year with a bunch of different groups that we saw. Uh, but in the end, we just kind of like from start to finish what Michigan did. And that's one thing we try to focus on as well is it's not just the last three games, yeah. but your body of work. We still like to take into account the body of work. Because how many awards have we seen the last month of the season? Boom, here comes somebody and he wins it. We still like to credit guys what they did weeks one through eight. So you guys, you guys will watch every single offensive line in the country? We will. Every single yeah. one? Our watch list is all 131 teams. Um, we haven't put that on a release yet, but... That's my personal watch list also. So, yeah. I don't know why we limit it to uh, X amount of guys, but why not just watch them all? At least take a peek. Yeah, I, I'm all for it. You know me. Last year you texted me. I was like, hey, I'm watching Toledo, dude. I'll just be quiet for a second. I just, I'll, I'll get back to you in a minute. Like, I'm dialed in. Uh, you put I, me on Fresno last year, uh, Fresno, so I'll give you credit. Like, I, okay. I love Fresno now. You, I didn't Fresno's know about our you team. Fresno. Fresno's the unofficial team of McElroy and Cubic in the Morning, which is our radio show. You can check it out. We have a lot of fun together, but uh, this is a good opportunity for us to kind of blend on the path here. Uh, I, I want to ask you about the current state of offensive line and college football because I'm having a hard time, and, and maybe I just look back at it in my years of playing, your years of playing. It's like those were the glory days of offensive line where you had a mix and a blend of athleticism coupled with the 1990s strength of being right. able to move a guy off the point. We don't see collectively that many great groups anymore. Why is that? Development has been a real problem. And I think it starts with scheme and how people manage their offense. Now, we're getting away a little bit right now from, and it's not that teams like what Southern Cal is going to run or what Tennessee runs right now, um, what Arkansas is running, what Oklahoma is going to be running still with Jeff Levy. They're still going to go fast, and they're still going to spread you out. I mean, you watch those Baylor-based offenses from that tree the Bryles tree, I mean, you're going to have receivers that are lined up two feet from being out of bounds. They're going yeah. to spread you out. And so I think the goal of that was let's get as many people removed from the box and then let's go as fast as we can. Well, I can remember going to Auburn practice when Malzahn was there. And the thing that surprised me the most, Greg, was 
at the end of plays in practice, and this is kind of team period, so almost a full scrimmage, as soon as, really before the play ended, there was an emphasis from the coaching staff, get back to the ball, get back to the ball, get back to the ball. Right. Well, that was where the ball was being spotted for the next play. I have always been taught in my offensive line background to finish the play. So it was almost a complete reversal from what we had been ingrained in us for years of, you play past the whistle. Well, now it was, let's cheat the whistle and go line up for the next play. Yeah. Well, if that's, if that's something that's important to you and an emphasis on how your group's going to play, you're removing a big part of what has made that position great for so long. Also, I think let's just with certain plays that have been implemented, it's more about creating space than moving people. So I think what happened is as we got into spread-based offenses and offenses that used pace and tempo and went fast, it was more, okay, how can we force the defensive linemen to take themselves out of plays as opposed to us moving them outside of our plays. Mm. So that's when read, zone read came in. What do we allow the defensive end to do? Make Quarterback puts the hand in the ball, belly right. in the back. <laughs> defensive end comes up. We're going to keep it and run around. Defensive end stays flat. We're going to give it to the back. Well, no one's blocking him. <laughs> no one's making him do something against his will. Um, we're, we're forcing him to be out of place. And then there are a lot of different – now the RPO forces the linebacker to do the same thing. So it became a game of – how can we force you to be wrong instead of us just making you wrong by how we're going to implement our will? And I think what that had done is, well, you need to practice that. You need to practice pace and tempo. One of the coolest conversations I've had in a long time was with Josh Heupel last year. I had never really been around him or his offense. We yeah. sat down early, and he and then I talked to Cody Burns, who I knew from Auburn. They told me how many hours going into last season they spent on where to line up before a play what angles to take after you're tackled to run back to where the ball was going to be spotted. Really? How to give the ball to the official, what official to give the ball to. Things you and I would never think about. Yeah. But in that offense, to be able to go as fast as possible, they're not just things that are coached. There are major emphasis points of yeah. how we have to go fast. Well, if you're doing all those things in practice, what are you not doing? You're not working on your regular technique and fundamentals. So – I think we got away from, okay, here's 15, 20 minutes of individual where the offensive line is going to go through the sled, you know, go push the sled, go through the chutes. We're going to have one-on-one -on -one board drills. We're going to have Oklahoma drill. You don't have time for those things anymore. But what we can do is have time for an RPO and work on our rhythm and timing there or work on read plays where the defensive end is going to be wrong. So we just got away from the emphasis of we can impose our will on you, which you played with some groups that absolutely knew how to do that. <laughs> And we just got into, let's create space, force defenses to be wrong. It'll make life a lot easier on us. That, along with position blocking, things of that nature, just has gotten us away from how big, how bad are we? Because there's just less of those guys. Yeah. And I don't know if there's more guys that just don't want to play offensive line or they don't think it's cool, but there seems to be less Trey Smiths and Quentin Nelsons and guys like that that can just bulldog you off the ball. And therefore, I think more guys sort of went to that offense to try to even the playing field. Well, it's not cool to play offensive line. It's very cool. Uh, no, it's not that cool. I mean, it's kind of cool to be big and big meathead. But other than that, it's it's fine. Uh, when, when you think about, and I think you referenced it, like the way we've moved guys and spread guys out. We're sitting here at SEC Media Days, and the pride of the SEC has always been, hey, front seven defensively, front seven defensively. Well, if you actually look like at almost every team, we're rolling through these teams and kind of getting prepared. Almost every team has some question marks in the front seven defensively. Yep. So why would we, why would the, not saying that everybody needs to become Wisconsin, 
But why have we abandoned that so much? Because if you look at where teams are technically maybe weak or less than stellar, why don't you just bludgeon them with two tight ends and a fullback? Like, I guess why don't we see that knowing that there's a lot of teams whose Achilles heel is stopping the run? I think we're seeing parts of it. I think we're, we're getting micro doses of that. How many teams, I mean, you and I have mentioned this before. I've heard you talk about it in broadcasts of games you're calling. How many teams are running 12, maybe 13 right now? Which yeah. That's one back and two or three tight ends. Five years ago, that was almost non-existent. Everything right. was four and five wide. And it was just, let's spread you out. Well, now I think, you, and you have to have, the tight end's the one that has to make it go. He can't just be, you know, your old school kind of Nick Muse at South Carolina last year where you can do two or three things really well. He's got to be able to flex, maybe carry the ball, go out in the slot, catch the ball, motion, do different things, be athletic. I think you're starting to see people bring more guys to the line of scrimmage. Saban will call it wide ball. I've heard him say that like a hundred times. <laughs> and, and that's a team too. I mean, when Sark was there, everybody talked about Devonta Smith and Mac Jones and Najee, but they were in two tight ends probably 70, almost 70% of the time. Yeah, with Cam Law too. But nobody talked about yeah. So I think we're trying to get back to that because now what we have found is the tight end is unidentifiable in certain instances. Defense always has to identify the personnel. Okay, he's a tight end. He's a running back. He's a fullback. He's a receiver. But you get some of these tight ends now, is he a wide out? Yeah. Because he can run past our corners. Right. You know, is he, is he a tight end? Because he can block our defensive ends or tackles, or he can help with that. So I think forcing that identification process to be a problem is coming back a little bit. But let's be real. We, we say the SEC is having defensive line issues because yeah. of what we remember. Like, I can go back to my time, and I remember Gerard Warren and Richard Seymour and Marcus Stroud and Cornelius Griffin. You and I have been watching Bama and Auburn and Florida and Mississippi State and Georgia the last few years. We're just used to seeing elite of the elite defensive linemen, especially in this league. It might be a little bit down right now, but it's not going to stay that way. So I don't think you can just say, oh, we're going to be 95 Nebraska and try to run over you because we don't have the personnel to be able to go out and do that. Yeah. I get the sense, though, that you're right. It's not all defensive line, too, though, even at the second level. I mean, look at Georgia, for instance. Like, I think Georgia will be good at linebacker, off-the-ball linebacker in particular. Like, I feel pretty good about that, but they're pretty inexperienced. Like, I'd test yep. them. Like, I'd challenge them. I'd take it right to them, see if they can handle it early. I think they can. They're probably not a team I'd want to run it on. But, but all things considered, just saying you might as well stress it, and I feel like there's just not enough of that, even though that I think there's opportunities to do that. I want to ask you about the current state of the college run game. Um, you mentioned zone read, you mentioned RPOs, but we saw with Baylor last year, Jeff Grimes and that system, which I love, it's stretch zone, get up field, like one cut running. Do you think what one cut running, stretch zone, trying to get horizontal and then slice them vertical, do you think there's still a significant place for that in college football because it was used so effectively with Baylor last year? I think it's the playing college football right now. Yeah. I think you are, you're either that or you're what Lincoln and USC are going to be. Center guard or center uh, tackle uh, kind of guard. South Carolina is yeah, pin and pull, uh, yeah. a lot of counter, a lot of power. We called it truck when I played at Auburn, which was basically I – mean, we ran truck. If you were uncovered, you pulled, literally. So basically all based – so pin and pull meaning – so if a defensive lineman's lined up to the outside of you, the outside, the tackle, or the let's just assume you're playing guard, tackles out here. He's going to pin, and then you pull. I'm going to pull around. It's so all you, based on so leverage. If, if I have a nose snap. guard here, you're my guard. You're blocking down. I'm going to pull around. 
Yeah. And what that usually does is teams that are really good at penetrating and getting in your backfield and causing problems, we're almost letting you do that. Yeah. Because if you're blocking back on a guy and he gains ground and he gets, let's just say, a yard into the backfield, but you're washing him out to the side, that's fine. We're going outside. Right. You can have that A gap. We're going outside. So we want to bring you upfield because that's going to give us angles at the second level linebackers also. Going back to the stretch play, outside zone, I call it stretch play. I think it's the play in college football right now. It's, it's almost. I still don't feel like I see it that much. Louisiana, well, Billy is going to run it at Florida now. Right, um, but he was at Louisiana before. That's Tyler, not saying he was. Tyler right. Beatty had 1,600 yards rushing for Missouri. I would say 1,495 were on stretch play. <laughs> I mean, you watch Drink, he's going to run it at Missouri. Um, I think Sark ran it a little bit at Bama. He'll run it some at Texas. Baylor's running the heck out of it. Arkansas runs it a little bit. Oregon State ran it a little bit. I think it's the ultimate neutralizer because the first thing that I think it does is it widens the surface. So if you can run the stretch play automatically, and Auburn's going to get back to it this year as well, and I think Tank Big. If I were, it would be the first when we were at Bama with Mark Ingram. It was literally the first. It was the first run play we installed. Sixty stretch. It was as simple as that. Or we call it stretcher, and that was it. Stretcher was like our fastball word to the right. Stretcher, like boom. Right, stretch, right. Like it was so easy, and it was the first play we installed. So we did inside zone and outside zone. That was day, day one run install. And he was that dude because 22, he had good patience to kind of – it almost looked like he was creeping. Yeah. But he just understood patience. Then, like you watch early <laughs> Tank Bigsby at Auburn, he gets the football, and he half the time would be running into the rear end of a guard or a tackle. It's like <laughs> He hit it too fast. Buddy, just give it a second, <laughs> right. and then let's get north and south. Right. Mark had a great feel for how to do that. I remember watching him in your offenses. I think what it does, it widens the surface, and now your ends have to play wider. Well, that gives me bigger cut lanes inside and obviously gets away from what Saban was calling wide ball a little bit. All right, if we can't push you around in the middle of our offensive line, well, let's widen you out, and that'll give us more run lanes. It gives you that sideline to sideline also because the play is designed to go outside of your tackle. Yeah. So you can take it all the way to the sideline. Well, now your linebacker's got to run like crazy. Right. Okay, well, guess what I'm coming back with? Bootleg. And your linebackers are flying. As soon as they see that accident, that quarterback reaches out, they're sidelined. 100%. Well, okay, I'll pull that thing back, and guess what? Nobody's backside. Yeah. Uh, and then I think that can open up some quarterback reads as well. Counter becomes a huge play, going back to the, the gap scheme runs we were talking about. So counter would be show stretch. And then it's pin, pin, pin. So a couple of offensive linemen are showing it to you, and then we're pulling back, and then you're going to turn and hand it to you. Yeah, with a fullback or or an H-back or something like that. So I I just think when you can widen that surface, you can get guys running east-west. That's and I mean, not only are you wearing them down, but you're forcing them visually to be deceived by what's going to happen next. It gives you massive advantages on offense. And you don't have to – you don't just have to – MF guys, so to speak. Like, you don't have to just bully guys off the football. Like, I can, I can be somebody who's not super strong. You mentioned 90 strength. I don't have to have that to reach you, which is basically to get my helmet, play side around a defender, and wall you off. Yeah. That, that doesn't have to, I don't have to push you three yards back for our stretch outside zone play to work. Yeah, for sure. I feel like... Uh, the only reason we were good my senior year. Rudy Johnson, <laughs> and we ran outside zone. We weren't pushing anybody around other than Kendall Simmons, but yeah, we knew how to get outside of you, and then yeah. the Rudy Johnson could take care of the rest of it. It all feels like it started with McVay. Like McVay a couple years ago with Goff, and everybody wants to be like, you know, like McVay. McVay was the hottest thing going in, in play calling. All they did a couple years ago with Goff and Gurley and all those guys was run stretch zone, toss sweep, and bootleg off of it. It was like, it was the dangest thing I've ever seen. It was so simple. They played a Monday Night Football game against the Bears. The Bears had a great defense. They made 
Khalil Mack a non-factor. Because all Khalil Mack could do the entire time was either chase the stretch zone, and the next thing you know, every time he chased, Goff was booting around. He's not like he's a mobile guy, but he just kept him honest with that breaking the field up, cutting it right in half, and calling it a day. So what you, a, see you just mentioned cut. So what's the next popular thing that's come off of that? Well, You're on stretch, that tight end will cut backside, and he'll come across. They'll, they'll call it a cutter or a splitter, split zone, outside zone, and that tight end comes across the, the back way. Well, that's where you can leak him out in play action. Or, like you're talking about with Khalil Mack chasing from the backside, Right. those tight ends come across, and they're staring at the running back, screaming flat down the sideline, and then here comes tight end. You hit him one time. Oh, you hit him one time, done. that pass rusher is done for the game. Like, I mean, not one, doesn't want any part of it. Next thing you know, they're just searching. The rest of the game. The tight end coming? <laughs> like, hey, where's he yeah, at? Protecting <laughs> the Heisman post, protecting <laughs> the knees exactly, every time. Exactly, as he should be. Uh, all right, what about power? Power has always been just such a huge part of offense, whether down, down, and around. And I don't feel like I see as much of it anymore. No. I, I don't know why that is. I think because when it started, it specifically had to hit a certain place. Um, so, so power, for those that are unaware, is the centers blocking from right to left, blocking down. The guards blocking down. The tackles blocking down. You have a fullback that's kicking out on the tight end. Your left guard is pulling around for the middle linebacker, inserting whatever linebacker he's going to, depending on how you guys draw it up. So uh, I just don't understand. That is like a staple play. It's a statement play. And yet, I don't feel like anybody runs traditional power anymore. I think three down fronts have started to neutralize that a little bit because when you play three down, it just, for a lot of different reasons, that we probably don't have enough time to get into all of them, it becomes more difficult because guys are playing different gap responsibility and it's harder from an assignment standpoint to have the understanding of when to block down and then who to climb to becomes even more complicated. So power, it's gotten a little more complicated. So now you have power kick where that backside guard will pull and his mission is to kick out a defensive end that comes up. Basically replaces what up. the fullback used right. to do. Or traditional power where the guard's going to climb up to a linebacker. But that thing's got to hit C-gap. There's just not a lot of other places for it to go. And if you don't have those guys like we talked about up front, you're not moving people, you're probably going to get stuck a couple of times. Yeah. Um, I think the most effective place for power right now, and I'm looking at his locker over here, there's not a lot of number twos for Auburn in 2010. <laughs> where you can run power with an extra blocker and have a quarterback that can add a power element to that play. You have that, you're cooking with gas, but it's still around. I just think it's evolved a little bit and it's become a play that has more options as to where it can hit, where it can go. And you'll hear that tag to it. You'll hear power, power kick, speed, power, a couple of different things because you have to understand we run things based on how the defense is playing. I think that's kind of really maybe the antithesis of this whole discussion is like when you were playing for McIlwain, you guys went out there and ran plays. Heck yeah. But there's not enough good players on enough teams to just go run plays now. You have to run plays based on what the defense is doing. Yeah. I mean, I, re I don't know what your thought is, but I think defenses are dictating more of what offenses do now than ever before. Yeah, I think I mean, it used especially to be, fronts. Like if you're three down versus four down front, that was like a game changer. We'd have to check out a lot of plays. Absolutely. Like, I mean, that was just what we had to Mississippi do. State ran three down when I was in school, and they ran an old school odd defense, which is like a nose and two wide ends. And I can just remember pass protection thinking, all right, I got to pull my guard down, but who's going to have the left side guard? And if these two backers go back. You're thinking I, this in the pre-snap? Absolutely. No, you weren't. I had to. <laughs> I had to be ready for it. I can't have borrow, borrow this guy, but this guy's going to go. Oh, your guards start making calls. They're like, slide, slide, get jet, jet, power. And I'm like, no, it's not what it is. You can't that's, communicate That's the that. funniest thing, like, within the offensive line group is that everybody, they like, it's the most cohesive unit on the team. 
and they are also the fastest to throw each other under the bus. <laughs> it's, a, it's the dangest thing I've ever seen in my life. The guard is begging for the center to come with him, so he's calling slide, which is basically asking the center to help the guard. Well, this guard knows he's by himself. He said, no, 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 don't, don't do that. Like basically giving a call to have the center stay at home so that he has a little help if he gets beat inside. You got to just explain to everybody who's never been in an offensive line, uh, offensive line meeting room. Like, why is it that y'all will fight anyone that challenges you and anyone that's an outsider we hate? They're not one of us. We hate them. And yet y'all all hate each other. Okay, inside I'm, I'm going to start with the itself. second part of that. Okay. The reason that we hate everybody else is, On your own offensive line. Well, it's, it only appears to be that way. It's really the amount of anger that we have for all other players on the team, and we just take it out on one another. But the reason that we hate everybody else on the team is because we see what you guys do. And the offensive linemen are usually first ones on the field because we have to go do completely ridiculous things like duck walk and T-board. They call it stretch, but really we're actually practicing. So just completely. <laughs> Jimbo is the worst. Jimbo will have you out there three hours before practice. Man. Stop. We'll go get a walk through. We'll go get a walk through. Let's go get a little stretch out there. Stretch out there. We're running <laughs> through the sled. We're running plays. Jimbo, we are exhausted. We haven't started practice yet. <laughs> what are we doing? And he still does it. And I'm, I'm like, Coach, quit doing that to your kids, man. He goes, no, we really just walked through now. I'm like, okay, whatever. You can call it a walkthrough. <laughs> we see the quarterbacks over there just, just throwing a little soft toss. The kickers are literally playing PlayStation on the Jumbotron at the stadium. Why are you including the kickers in this discussion? They, uh, if you're going to take your anger you, out. How often do you even see them? I don't want to see them. I don't even see them. I hope the they never take the field. Receivers are over there, like working on one-handed over-the-shoulder catches. Linebackers have like that giant ball, and they're just pushing it back and forth. I'm just like us and the D line are the only ones who are really doing anything. Oh, the running backs have the pad, and they're working on goal line jumping over on the pad. I'm just, oh, they have. Oh, I'm sorry, they have the little, uh, the little padded things that come out, and they run through that so we don't fumble. Then you get to, you get your buddy who's trying to strip it. They do 10 minutes of their buddy trying to pull the ball out. No one good well, he's not really trying to get it out. We're the only ones that do anything at practice. That's why we hate everybody else. We're the only ones who grind at practice. D-line a little bit, no one else. So yes, we are, it's not even hate, it's pure jealousy. I can remember towards the end of two days, I wanted to be a trainer, I wanted to be a camera guy, I wanted to be a kicker, a holder, a, anything. I was like, God, if I could just be any other position. On this field, actually, any other like person affiliated with the team, I'd have been happy to not go through those shoots again or not go push that sled again because I just can't handle it anymore. And you guys were over there just screwing around, no big deal, whatever. So, yeah, that's it. All right, finally, we'll, we'll get you out of here with this because every basically every interview we do, we ask a gotcha question at the end, mm. and this is going to actually pain you because every I know that every offensive line coach in America is like your dad, uh, or at least you treat him as such. So explain to me who right now is the best offensive line coach in America. Come on. You can't do this. I have to I do it. I cannot answer this question. There are a lot of great ones. There are a lot of good ones. I asked gonna... Sark, I asked Sark if Colt would have got, would have, wouldn't have gotten hurt, would they have still won as the coach of you Texas? You knew that was going to make okay, Bama fans happy. Okay, That's but, why you did that. Okay, You're trying I, to get more crimson cred I asked, asking that I question. I asked Eli Drinkwitz, uh, as the head coach of Missouri, if he had to win one game, would he choose Chase Daniel or Cam Newton? Please, 
God tell me he didn't say Chase Daniel. <laughs> he, he straddled the fence he completely. He might need to be fired. As the head did. coach of Missouri, you have to do that. <laughs> no, so, yes, don't. you 100% have to. Use your common sense. I'm going to give yeah. you this one name. Okay. Sam Pittman. Sam Pittman. He's not a head. He's not an offensive line coach. Yeah, but that's where I'm going. I'm going Sam Pittman. That way I can't make the other guys mad. Okay, well, that's I got to see those guys every week. I'm not I don't about care. to sit here and tell you who is better than all the others. I want to know who the best offensive line coach is. Sam Pittman. Why don't you just you might as well go say Mario Cristobal, too, then? You might as well say out there. Mario's up there. Oh, God. What a ridiculous. Got one right here in Atlanta. Georgia Who else? State. Who else plays oh, George State? <laughs> Every head coach <laughs> that was at one point an offensive line coach is the best offensive line coach? Uh, I, think, I think Alex Mirabal is great. Um, actually, I think, I think Grimes, who doesn't coach the O-line anymore, but is the offensive Baylor. coordinator at Baylor. Where's Mirabal at? He's at Baylor. Baylor, too. Um, I, think, I think those guys do an excellent job. Um, I think Kyle Flood at Texas does a really good job. He did not have a lot to work with last year, and that group got better. You saw what he did with the group at Alabama, uh, putting a lot of guys into the NFL. So much is dependent on what they're running, who they have, how they're running it, where they've been. I think Brent Key here at Georgia Tech's a really good offensive line coach, but he doesn't have the four and five stars that some of these other guys have to work with. So yeah. it's, it's, it's going to be ever-evolving. Like, I think Glenn Ellerby does a really nice job at Tennessee, but it's – I'm never going to tweet out a bunch of highlight clips because they're, they're running 85 plays right. a game. And like I said before, they're sprinting to get back to the ball. Right. But in what they do and how they do it and technically how he has them operate, he does a really good job with that group. Yeah. If you were an AD, would you hire an offensive line coach to be your head coach? Absolutely. Why? They know what the grind is like. Would the first period of practice be like a fist fight amongst everybody on the team? No, that's what Hugh Nall made us do in practice, actually, <laughs> is fight one another because we need to be tough. <laughs> nothing, nothing says you're tough like a fist fight pre-practice. The loser had to run, and I may or may not have eye gouged my teammate. <laughs> oh, God. All right. That's, that'll do it for us here. At All right. That'll do it for this conversation. Cues, I appreciate it, man. He's the host of McElroy and Kubik in the morning, every morning on Jocks 94.5 in Birmingham, Alabama. And he does an amazing job on SEC The Weekend. That's what y'all's brand is, right? SEC The Weekend? Wicked. Wicked? Yeah. W-K-N-D? Yeah. We're trying to get that Wicken. brand going. I hadn't really taken off yet. It'll, I'm sure it. it'll take off. The patent's <laughs> pending. We'll see. Uh, SEC The Weekend, he does a great job with Jordan Rodgers and Tom Hart every single Saturday on SEC Network on the primetime game. So we appreciate it, brother. Thanks, Thanks for having being me, here, man. Good Absolutely. stuff. Good talk. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the Launch Your Online Shop stage to the First Real Life Store stage, all the way to the Did We Just Hit a Million Orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash network. Talk 
That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. As you can tell, here we are sitting at SEC Media Days, and yet the news never stops. And a lot of the news coming from outside the SEC's footprint. That's why college football season is the best, or talking season especially, given what's happened in the last two talking seasons with Texas and Oklahoma and USC-UCLA and all the different movement that's been going on as far as realignment is concerned. We appreciate you being with us from wherever it is you're getting it, whether it's Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or if you're on the ESPN YouTube channel, please like, rate, and subscribe. If you're on the YouTube channel, hit us up in the comments. Tell us where we can improve, what you want us to talk about, and how we can get better for future episodes. We also have an email at alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. You can hit up the show on Twitter at alwayscfb. You can hit me up on Twitter at Greg McElroy. For all of us here at Always College Football, I'm Greg McElroy. We hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's always college football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.